the six in the mix. Yo, when this flock comes to talk, pull a chair and prepare. We have six in the mix. When we speak, it's unique. Buried views, no excuse for the news to be void of some fun and the truth. Word. We are a band of brothers who met and bonded in college. After starting families and branching out across the United States, we are coming back together to strengthen our relationships through the podcast platform. We call ourselves Six in the Mix, talking faith, family, sports, and politics. Join us on our journey. Today we reflect on fathers. We'll talk about John MacArthur and the state of California, L.A. County. We'll do our normal six in the mix trivia. We've got a hot topic about NFL football this year. We will also be going into Ryan's segment, Calling Your Shot. As always, we'll have a feel-good story of the week brought to us by Ben. I'll be closing it out with Fix Your Eye. I'm going to turn it over to Jeremy to start off on the topic of Father's Thank you, Matt. This is a just a wonderful topic usually to reflect on. And I know that for all of us, because we have dads and we um, have affections for them in our own unique ways, they speak into our lives whether they're here or not. One of the things that I think is, is probably the most important thing in our society, when we talk about family, when we talk about, you know, those moorings and uh, from where we came from, you never can talk about those situations without talking about dads. And it is very apparent when there are dads present and when their dads not. And uh, the inf- influence or the lack of influence they have in our lives. And I know that there are some situations that uh, are difficult, whether or not there's a dad in the home or maybe just different beliefs or or what have you. But uh, there is no doubt that dads make an impact and they, have, they do so in a strong way. I have been privileged to to have a just a really close relationship with my dad, although he is uh, he is no longer here. He's in heaven about a year and a half ago. Fought cancer for about four years before that. Um, the Lord took him home about July 22nd, June 22nd, rather, of last year. And so just had a wonderful time uh, with him. And, and in many ways, he gave me the, a lot of the passions and things that are part of my life. And I'm, I'm kind of a living legacy, I guess, of what he did in his life. And on the agenda, this the, the question or the statement is, what have, we, what have we leaned or the goals and the approaches that we have as dads, but what have we gleaned from our dads and, and what impact uh, do they and have they had on, on us as, as dads and as, as grown men now? And I would, I would just offer that, you know, my dad wasn't always my favorite person. And I think sometimes I, I forget that. Uh, in my teen years, I could care less really about my dad. And it wasn't that I didn't care about him as a person. I, you know, I, I cared for him, but his wisdom and the what, the decisions he would make, the things he would make us do, I just could not see past my own nose on some of those things and could not understand why in the world I, I couldn't stay out later at night. Why I couldn't hang out with this person? And the big one for me was he would not let me play athletics or sports on Sunday, no matter what. Could not work, couldn't play sports off limits. I couldn't get my head around any of that. And my dad, with his own infinite wisdom, was shaping me. And he didn't have the ability because of my rebelliousness and my uh, short fuse couldn't really explain things to me. And I had I had no heart to really understand him or, or hear him out. But some of the things that he taught me just by example and what he would not allow to happen in our home today are the things that I treasure most about my dad. So it's kind of 
of weird in a way that I love my dad more, even though he's not here and I haven't spoken to him for a long time. I love him more because the, the, the older I get, the more I understand why he did what he did and who he was as a person. My wife and I were just talking about this. We were at a funeral just this this afternoon. We went to a, a memorial service and uh, there weren't very many people there. The kids were kind of detached from uh, their parents and it was a memorial s- service for an older couple. And uh, as we were driving away, I just made mention to my, my wife. I said, you know, this was a complete stark difference between what this was and the honoring they were giving their mom and dad to what we were able to give my dad. And um, it's not because of a prideful thing, but truly the things that his life was all about were serving other people and giving his life of ministry to Christ. And when he did that, the honor and respect from people just poured out. I mean, uh, over 500 people came to greet our family uh, in that church, uh, in the memorial service before his funeral. It just speaks volumes of, of a man. And I, I just want to put one more plug in here before I turn it over to all of you guys to, to talk, is that as dads that we are today, it is our job. It is our mission, whether you want it or not. It's our mission to build a legacy and literally establish the next generation in truth. One of the things my dad said as our whole family got together and one of the last things he was audibly able to speak came out of Proverbs, I think it's 23, 23. He said, buy truth and do not sell it. And I, I appreciate that uh, about the heart of a heart of a dad who loved Jesus, walked with him for the majority of his life. And uh, the ability that I have today to, to relish in that and to be an extension of that in this generation. And I just keep praying for my boys that they would be the same for me because I see so much of me and them just going through that teenage year right now of going, man, I, I mean, I know 2020 is crazy, but parenting teens is like, what just happened to these kids? They were nice just a few years right. ago. What happened? And I just know that uh, tis the season, but I also know that God can rescue their heart and change them and mold them to make less errors than than I did. And uh, I, I truly believe that that didn't just come from my dad. It was his dad and generations before that. So I have an awesome privilege of, of a, a legacy. And so I, I look at that today as my mission, far, far more important than than what I have in the past. So I'm just going to lead off with some encouraging words there about my dad and, and the legacy that he left. I'm curious about the rest of you. As I think about the things that I appreciate and love about my father, a couple things spring to mind. First of all, just the hard work. And I I recognize it, I think, in a small measure when I was younger. I've got an image uh, of my dad coming in after doing the paper out. And this was, I think I was just about to start doing the Saturday morning and Sunday morning paper out with him. That, by the way, he picked up so my brother and I could go to Christian school. So he worked a regular job. And then on the weekends, we delivered the Minneapolis Star and Tribune. I remember him coming in on one of those like, you know, February mornings and he had like the icicles hanging from, you know, the eyelashes and the eyebrows and just looked like he was, you know, like a snowman coming in. And I remember just seeing that. And I was like, I was proud. I was like, that's my dad. And then he took me and my brother along and we learned how to deliver papers in the summer and in the winter. And I learned to drive a little bit on the paper route. Right. So I learned hard work from him. I never saw him not work hard, whether he was at work or at play. And I think also some of the creativity that, that I've that I have the way I, I see things or I like to think about things in a different way comes from my dad. You know, he was he was always doing things maybe a little bit different way. You know, he was the camp counselor in our cabins and, and he would take a story every night. It'd be a different. So it'd be a story about uh, like a boy who was like a hero or did something.
something heroic and he would insert the names of the boys in the, in the cabin in there so everyone felt special and it was just you know you could come and be a camp counselor but like, all right guys go to bed be quiet but he he put those those things in there you know small things like that that was just like that extra touch and it kind of challenged me to like hey be creative go that go that extra mile and so i, I greatly appreciate him and the, obviously the godly influence he was on me that extremely meaningful to me and i hope i have many more years you know with him if there's one piece of advice that i could give you guys and i know ryan you've gone through recent loss of your dad is that never exchange time to be able to be with him you know in in special circumstances in good situations i know there are challenging things in that but one thing that i i will never ever regret was having you know spent an extra day in ohio or an extra day or hour working with him or an extra you know game of horse or whatever it was on the uh, basketball court those those times are very special and i know i know all of you have shared those kind of moments with your dads uh who who else wants to speak up about dad yeah for me i've been fortunate i've always lived within an hour or less of my parents so i'm able to see them regularly which is great but even that being said you know i can get caught up in the busyness of life and making sure i carve out time to to still spend that time with my parents is is a thing that i try to prioritize as much as i can i think of my dad and looking back on it especially now being a, a father for a few years thinking through the consistency that my dad had kind of it didn't matter what group of people he was with he he wouldn't change who he was he's a pretty consistent he's a soft-spoken guy you know a lot of you guys know my dad but he was a solid consistent god-fearing man and that especially that part of his example i want to emulate with my boys to be a, that consistent trying to ground everything i do in the bible and trying to you know raise them my boys up to be the right kind of uh you know men as they get older i think for me personally as i when i became a dad I think that was maybe the first time in my life when I really started to, I don't know, almost at some point take life seriously, take all the responsibilities seriously. Yeah, realize you, you, that, become, you become mortal at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And realize that life isn't all about me. You know, even being married, you know, with Jill and I, we both have a lot of the same things that we like to do. And that's what was I mean, it really, it was pretty easy, but then you add babies <laughs> into that mix and how, you know, my life, you know, it, it, everything, everything changes. Obviously when you have children, everything changes, but just real, that realization sinking in of, I, I don't want to, I don't want to screw these kids up. I want to, you know, do what I can and, and try to do it well and, and seek counsel from other people who have already been through it. And like, you know, how do I do this without totally screwing it up? You know, I think that moment or those, especially those first few days and months and years of being a dad, it just that awakening of like, wow, there is a lot of gravity and responsibility here. I need to, I need to get serious about all of this. You know, that that's kind of where I'm at with it. That's good. Ethan, I saw you smile when you said kids. I know you spent some time recently with your folks. What about your dad? Yeah, there's, I think there's a lot that I could say. I I have to laugh at Ben's comment about kids changing everything. Uh, It it so does in terms of, for me, I think how much I appreciate my dad, I think grew, not that I didn't before, but, but grew a lot having kids. I think one of the unique things about having kids for me was the expansion of my view and understanding 
understanding of God as a father and the experience of having kids and how that grew and broadened my understanding of why God describes himself as our father in so many ways. I think for me, just the topic at hand in terms of my dad, I think there's a few things that I would touch on, but a lot of them come back to a similar thread of what does it look like to be a man of responsibility, um, to be a man of integrity, to be a man of commitment and dependability. All those things I think are at the root of my dad's person, who he is. And so I know as a kid, there were just so many instances that spoke volumes to me about my dad from seeing him deal with being a principal of a Christian school and deal with a lot of the criticism that came his way and yet never badmouth anybody in front of me. Um, and I and I knew a lot of what was going on because I was a kid in that Christian school and I heard a lot of what was going on up through seventh grade. And yet I never heard him badmouth anybody. I, I remember one time he and I went hunting with a, a friend of ours from our church and his son who was close to my age. And, and my dad took a shot at a deer and uh, the bullet actually, right as he was shooting, another deer walked behind the deer he was shooting. And so his bullet went through one, went through the second one and killed them both. And, um, and you know, the thought was, well, he only has one tag. What does he do? And, you know, I remember my dad being really definitive and I was probably 11 or 12 and my dad was really definitive. He's like, nope, I need to load up both into my truck and we got to go find a game warden so I can tell him what happened. Whereas, you know, who leaves hunting in the middle of the day to go find someone to admit? And the game warden just laughed when my dad told him. <laughs> it was like, you're probably the only person in the entire state of Montana that would have been willing to do that. And it's <laughs> probably not true, but, but uh, you know, it just made an impact for me. And so I think when I think about my dad and his legacy in our family, I just think about what does it look like to be a man um, of responsibility and character? And so that, that really informs, I think, the way that I'm trying to parent our boys. We talk a lot with our boys. And I think part of the challenge, and you guys know this, part of the challenge is how do we help cultivate in them a heart for the Lord and a heart of understanding of their need for him, not just make them to be good moralists right. who do the right thing because right. they need to be good. Um, and so trying to walk that line is hard. I think in, in many ways, kind of the inspiration of my dad has just led me to reflect on really challenging our sons, even at young ages, to, to help them know, listen, because of how much God loves you, you have four responsibilities. Um, and we talk with them about it. And the fact that because God loves you first, your first responsibility is to love him. And you don't know what that means yet. And you don't really want to, but let's pray that someday he'll help you learn to love him. And second, your responsibility is to obey mom and dad because God loves you. He loves you enough to put you in our family and that we know best. Um, and even if you don't understand, you can still love. And then the last two that we talk about is because God loves you, you need to love each other um, and you need to love and uh, and share and all the other things that deal with kids. And then I think for me, the last one that, that we try and emphasize to them that I think accurately reflects my dad's influence is just telling our boys, listen, because God loves you, he also loves the people around you. And that includes people that are maybe weak and vulnerable uh, and other things. And so we talk with the boys about, listen, part of your job, because God loves you and loves other people is to protect girls, is to protect people that are weak and vulnerable. Um, and so I think a lot of the ways that I've seen my dad live those ways has informed kind of the way that I want to see that I talk and the way that I kind of parent our boys. And so I'm really thankful for that uh, in a lot of ways. I owe a lot to him and to his example. That's good, Ethan. I, I, I feel like I just listened to two a 30 minute podcast of Dr. James Dobson and focus on the family. I'm just wondering when you're going to take over for him because that should be, uh, that should be on there. Um, Not anytime soon. <laughs> Betty, you, you, you said it right when you said uh, you're scared to death. You're going to mess these kids up because that's yeah. the same way I feel every yeah. day. Like 
Um, having two daughters, 13 and 16 now, I can't believe I've gotten this far. Three years into our marriage, I actually told Jen, I was like, you know, I, I don't know if I want kids. <laughs> and that went over real well. Let me tell you. <laughs> Obviously, I think it was, I was, I was, I think I said that just mainly because I was so overwhelmed of the idea of bringing a child into this world and having that responsibility. But once I, we had our first daughter, I'll never forget the day I sat in that in that room and she her big blue eyes stare, were staring right up at me where we were in the hospital. I was oh, like, yeah. you know, it's over, right? I mean, this yeah. is it. I mean, I, I don't know how it get any better than this. And then I was really actually nervous when we got pregnant, when my wife got pregnant with our second, because I didn't know if I could love this second child as much as I love my first child. I was like, I don't know if I, my heart is big enough for this. You know, I was like, how am I going to do this? But obviously it was just, you know, that that's all about how being a parent, you know, and how you love your kids. It, it, it all works out. I mean, you know, having two girls, I'm always trying to be interested in everything they're doing, giving them the due attention they deserve and, yeah. and need, because I don't want them looking for it for attention from some boy somewhere else. I mean, I want them to be able to know that I'm here. When I talked about uh, building a computer with Lillian, my youngest, I mean, yeah, I wanted to be interested. I wanted to be, let's do something like this. And with, with, with Elena, my oldest, it's sports. She loves sports, right? And so watching baseball games with her and, and teaching her how to keep score at, in, in in baseball, you know, with the, with the book and everything. So, you know, I think being interested and in showing them I'm going to be, I'm the one that's going to provide that uh, attention they want, not somebody else. So that's, that's something I'm always, always conscious of and thinking of and very appreciative of having two girls now. I maybe having 13 and 16 and watching them still grow up. I was always afraid that once they get to the teenage years that they're going to, you know, forget mom and dad and put up with them, you know, like how Jeremy, you know, yeah. I, you said, and you there's, know. you know, there's moments of it. It's not like, yeah. it's, you know, you know, the whole, the whole person of a kid. But exactly. But, you know, for the most part, I haven't had that feeling yet because it's so great to just to sit down with them and talk. You know, with Lily, it's technology. We love talking Xbox, PlayStation, computers, all that, all that stuff, you know, it's having those great conversations and just, I love it that she wants to have those conversations with me, right? I mean, she likes to hear what I might have to say or think about it. And she has an amazing insight of her own that I love to, love to tap into. And, and the same with Elena. I mean, it's just, I mean, her, her exuberance for life, her passion to live every moment to the fullest is just a, always, always incredible to me and is a challenge to me every, every day I get to see her. So that's good. That's good. It's encouraging. Don, you're doing, you're doing things right, man. Don't, uh, don't worry. Don't fret. You're, uh, you, you've got good things to say. Brian, I know that you've gone through some difficult things uh, recently, which uh, out of uh, the six of us, uh, you and I are on this side of life with dad. Um, and I know there's some good things and great memories that you have with your dad. Why don't you share a little bit uh, if you would. As you, as you mentioned, my dad did pass away a couple weeks ago. And since then, I've been in the process of just going up to his place, getting things in order, reflecting on the on the few memories that I did have with him. And there, there were some positive memories. It's just for me, the hardest part, though, is I, I don't think he was saved. And, and that just it's, it's hard to deal with. But you understand God is sovereign over that. He, he certainly heard the gospel. Mm-hmm. He, he had three kids that were interested in, in sharing that with him. And um, it so for me, being on this side of Christianity, it's just hard for me. I, 
I have a hard time seeing why people reject. I mean, I understand from scripture, we know most of the world is going to reject scripture, but just, just losing my dad, I, I always thought it was going to come down to a deathbed type of experience. And, and I didn't get that chance because once he went into cardiac arrest, uh, he never came back to consciousness, even though I, I was able to be there in the final hours with him up in Minneapolis. Um, so typically I, I wouldn't see him for more than 10 hours in a year. Uh, my mom remarried and I had a stepdad, but that was still difficult. He, he was a farmer. He wasn't really interested in taking us in per se. I was already 15 years old. I believe he was saved, but it, yeah, it's been tough. So entering fatherhood without two father figures in my life, let alone spiritual examples, like some of you said, it's, it's already a daunting enough task to do that. But then when you haven't had it modeled for you, you are just totally relying on God's grace. And that's really what it comes down to for me, because I remember listening to a message a while back when I lived in Georgia, I got a hold of a, of a message on a CD from Andy Stanley, and it was really good. It was for Father's Day. And he talked about the perfect father, which of course isn't an earthly father. It's a heavenly father. Yes. And even if, even if you don't have one modeled for you, you've got God in heaven, the perfect father. And so I've, 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 I've reflected on that often. And in another area I've, I've seen God's grace in this idea of, of fatherhood is in the person I married who brings into our relationship a great father. Mm. And I can learn from him. And I've been able to do that for 15 or 16 years now. And, and I just, I really enjoy, he's a wise, a wise man, godly man. And that's, that's God's, that's God's grace again uh, to me in that, in that way. So, you know, when I, when I posted on, on Facebook that my dad had passed away, I got a, I got a text from one of my friends here in, in town and I, I didn't know this. I mean, I, I had an idea it was something like this, but he said, if your mother attends church regularly, which, which mine did, and the father has nothing to do with church or anything like that, which mine didn't, they were divorced. The child has a 2% chance of being a regular church attender. Well, that's God's grace. And I mean, you guys know I've got plenty of issues and I'm probably of the three kids, the, the black sheep, right? <laughs> you know, I, I'm kind of, the, I'm kind of the, the messed, messed up one, but you know, God's grace is, uh, is sufficient for that. And I, I don't like failing and I'm going to do my best at fatherhood and, and love my two daughters the best that I can, but it's going to be because of his grace and his word that provides guidance on how to do that and what he expects from us. So. Yeah, that's good, Ryan. I, I know the uh, the sense of, of loss and, and grief, but um, I do not know the sense of loss and grief, not knowing or, or being, you know, unsure of, of what that parent, uh, whether it's a dad or mom, uh, would have as, as eternal security. And again, that was kind of my point in the beginning to build this legacy and, and teach the generation that we've been given to our kids. And I heard it in every single one of yours. I mean, Dr. Dobson down there by Ethan, um, Ben with, you know, his boys, we, we, you know, just trying to, trying to take the steps that dad did with us to make sure it's not going to go wrong. Matt, I know your dad and I know, you know, the work ethic that he has. And, and I remember sitting in your living room on a couple of occasions and, and just listening to their story of, of how they met and wh- how God rescued them. Uh, that's still playing in my mind. Don, I remember meeting your dad at, at the wedding and, and other times too. And I still cannot get his voice out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> that, that bass voice, that booming bass, bass voice that you mimic so well. But um, just uh, the fact that we've been given such a treasure. And it, even if we as earthly dads mess up, we do have a, a recourse. We have the Heavenly Father that we, we can go to and embrace and ask wisdom because he will give it to us. And so, yeah, been a good segment, guys. Um, deep segment, but good segment. Yeah, Jeremy, thanks for leading us through that. I think we all have things to be thankful for, both
both here on earth, but then also the fact that the Heavenly Father has made himself known to us is, is uh, pretty amazing. So hopefully that's a good encouragement. It's an encouragement to me as I'm a father, as we're all fathers. Hopefully it's uh, an encouragement to those listening as well. I uh, want to move on to uh, a topic that we, we touched on a couple episodes ago when it was just breaking, but uh, John MacArthur and Grace Community Church uh, out in uh, Los Angeles County has had to take a stand or has chosen to take a stand when a public health order said they needed to close or they needed to just do outdoor services. And uh, so they've been engaged in a legal battle, I think, over the last several weeks. And over most of those weeks, the legal battles, they've won. The court has supported them. And Pastor MacArthur has been very clear. We are going to hold church and we're, we're going to do it. The church wants it. The church needs it. We are going to hold church and we're going to do that. And the courts upheld that, uh, except this past week was the first court ruling where a, a judge says you need to abide by the ruling. We're going to have health officials come in. You need to let them in, basically banning what they were doing. So I know we had some different views at the time. Just kind of want to get a sense of uh, your thoughts on the current situation. And do any of you feel differently now that we've seen you know, Pastor MacArthur and, and the churches stand and the fight that they've kind of had to go wage against the government on this? I haven't really changed my stance on things. What I, what I do see is that there's a deepening battle and this is becoming the example case for more and more maybe churches that are out there. Because it's not just MacArthur's church that's affected by this in, in his county. There are other churches that are facing the same thing. I think they get the headlines because of how popular he is as a teacher and a, and a scholar uh, of God's word. And, and I, I believe as well in teaching and preaching. So I, I look at this as, you know, things to come. When it comes to the courts and some of the things that happen there, there are judges who are going to support. And then there's going to be judges eventually down the line who are just going to say no. And as much as, you know, we would like to say that politics is out of it, I really don't think that that's the case. That's my opinion. Um, I think we're, we're getting into that kind of battle eventually uh, with this. It's just sad to note and to see that some of these freedoms that we uh, maybe just in our lifetime, my lifetime, just expected to always be there um, are being challenged for the first time. And so um, it's just it's just eye opening. I, I have I have committed to more diligent prayer for the bodies of Christ that we're associated with, particularly my church, because that's to where I belong in our fellowship, that God would protect us, that God would have his hand over us and that we would be continued allowed to fellowship together and with some care and uh, concern with the community and the things that are going on with uh, the health crisis and things that are taking place. But I think they've got a target on their back now, and it's much bigger than just John MacArthur's church. This is my opinion. I think my stance is still pretty much the same as we think back what we discussed a few episodes ago and and just talking about masking. I think that's a component of this too. Uh, I I know within our church, we're not all in agreement on, on the best approach to this, but I'll say what I said before again, and I, I'm all for MacArthur's stand to, to have church and to meet and assemble. There is a call to do that. Would I like to see extra safety precautions? I would. So I understand the concern out there that this might be government overreach, but from a secular government overreach perspective, they are thinking public health and safety. And I, I appreciate that because I, I don't want, I don't really care for the virus. I want to stay away from it myself, but I also see MacArthur point of view that no we're called to do this 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 is the spiritual realm this is this is kingdom polity we're dealing with here and I totally appreciate that too so it's a tough one for me it really is I the first amendment's pretty clear you've got you've got the right to assemble and you've got the right to practice your religion so he's got a couple of points he can stand on constitutionally
intentionally. However, what do you do in a pandemic? And he, he likes to say this is not as deadly as it appears. I think people should have the ability to make up their own mind as well. Do I want to take the risk and go in and do that? That should that should be people's freedoms. But the government in different states have different approaches. I can appreciate both sides. I, I hate I hate kind of standing in the middle on this one. <laughs> I, I'm, I've kind of feel like I'm in the minority on a lot of these discussions when it comes to masking and churches. I, I just think there's wisdom in masking. I'll just come out and say that right now. I, I don't know why people cannot mask when they're going to be close to each other, especially singing. We know that it's going to block some of the some of the viral load. We know that if you're taking in inoculum, that mask is going to also give you protection. It's going to lessen. I really believe the extra masking going on right now is helping cases still go up, but they're not as serious because the virus getting in you is not as destructive because of its pure size. Anyway, I got on my hobby horse and it's a little off the topic, but that's that's what I think. Well, I was hoping I could get through my lifetime without hearing viral load again. <laughs> Clear! As I've said before, after every day that goes by, I get more and more. Oh, what is the word I'm looking for? I get more and more. You know, I feel like I'm. I'm what am I trying to say? I Are guess, you disenfranchised or what? I'm I mean, getting yeah, very much so. Is it cynical or cynical? That's what it was. I'm getting more and more cynical. And the mask thing, I'm done with. I, I, I think the masks do nothing. They do absolutely nothing. I think it's just a way for them to be able to put a bandaid on. Some something and say that it's working because there's really no way we're going to know if masks are working. Uh, you just can't tell me that they're they're going to be working or not, that there's any way scientifically they can prove it works. There's no way to tell. With MacArthur, getting back to the topic on hand, with MacArthur and his church, I'm all for him doing what he's doing. Ryan, you said you were in the middle. I'm tired of being in the middle. I'm tired of being in the middle. I'm going one way or the other. I'm picking a side and I'm going to the side he's on because I think that we have got to start standing up for what is going on and not sitting on the sidelines and saying, well, I can see how maybe the government is, is it's a public health issue for the government. I don't know that. I honestly don't know that anymore. I think maybe they are trying to suppress the church. I think that's a, an agenda, a legitimate agenda of the Democrat Party. I think that they have that in their playbook because they know that in order to control us, they've got to be able to control what's happening in our churches. And if they can keep us from meeting, then so be it. That's what's going to happen. I'm just seeing it play out day after day after day. I'm getting sick of it. And I think that people have got to start standing up. What MacArthur is doing, I'm all for it. Yeah, for me, it's interesting. I think I was a bit more cautious and you know, not that I was giving uh, MacArthur any advice, uh, but I, I kind of thought his the way he was talking was cavalier and I, I was concerned that there could be an outbreak among his congregation. But as I've seen, again, the battle be waged, it's interesting. So typically when you see like, you know, conservative, liberal, left, right, the left is saying, well, we're going by science, right? I mean, they, they're upholding science a lot. And I think MacArthur has been fighting back with science, right? He's saying, guys, where is where is this level of pandemic based on what we're seeing? And so again, it's, it's how you slice and dice the numbers. But uh, for him to challenge that, 
again, not only to take a stand against government, but ultimately he's he's leading the church. He's he's one of the leaders in God's kingdom, and he sees that as you know more critical and more crucial to to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness than compliance to a, a government order that, you know, again, a real world issue, a real world virus. But I, I think the time has come and it's gone where it was the big issue. And now we've got to we've got to get either back to normal, quote unquote, or, or say, that, hey, let's really see it in, in reality. And so I, I think I've changed my stance and I do. I do fully support what he's doing and um, do believe that the, the battle lines are becoming more clear. You can't you can't sit, you know, on the sidelines. Don, I appreciate your comment on that. You know, you just you can't be in the middle on that, you know, and I think it's going to hopefully force Christians to, to, again, not to protest from a, like a violent side or like a, you know, we hate everything, but but from like, a, no, this is what's truly important and not to be passive in it, but, but to be active. Can I, can I just add on to what you two guys have said? I mean, you've, you've got to also realize that at, at the Rams football game today, there weren't, there, there are not crowds there. I mean, they're not letting in, they don't want anybody assembling right now. And I think we'd all agree that that's far less important than, than being able to assemble as a church. So I, I get it. I mean, I understand his priority and I agree with his priority. I just think there's this phrase called with freedom comes responsibility. And I think there are ways we can still do what we ought to do and need to do in a more responsible manner. That's my, that's my point of view. But yeah, what, I, at the Rams, what, what, is it that chosen by the teams? I mean, we had 17,000 people at the Kansas City game on Thursday. I mean, they chose to have that many amount of people for whatever reason, 17,000 was the magic number for in Kansas City that was not going to have an influx of, of COVID spread around us. The same in California at the Rams game, they didn't want anybody. Same here in Minneapolis. I mean, there, where's the science in that? I don't, what, what is the proof? What, why, how is that number and what does that number mean to anyone? Well, again, this comes back to the inconsistencies of everybody leading in a certain direction in a different way. You know, all states are going different directions. Counties of the states are going in different directions. Some schools are meeting full scale, some are hybrid, some are virtual, and it's all over the map when it comes to this. I flipped on the, some college games. I didn't even know college football was even actually going to happen. And I, to my surprise, my son said, hey, I think they're playing replays. I'm like, cool. I'll watch in the afternoon after I'm done with you. You know, let's see if we can take in a game and go back to a little bit of normal. And I'm looking at, and everybody's wearing masks and then there's people in the stands. And I'm thinking, wait, what? What, what just happened? Okay. So that's what frustrates me, honestly, is, is the inconsistency from, you know, who do you listen to? And when you don't listen to one central person, then everybody makes their own call, which is called freedom. And if they do that, then there's, there's, you know, judgments that are made on people based on what they decide to do and what they're asked to do, whether or not there's science involved or whatever. I mean, it's, it's just so bizarre and everybody is everywhere. I'll go back to what I said at the beginning about John MacArthur. I think that God has positioned him in a unique way, in a unique time in his ministry to handle this. I really honestly believe that. And I think that there are pastors who, if they got up to speak, would botch every single thing they said, and it would it would so turn and make the church look frail, perhaps, or maybe above everybody else in some way. But I think he's standing up, and Matt, I think you're right. If he's able to use the science back and challenge them and say, this is not something that you're able to do, could there be some other responsible things? And even he said, you know, we could take measures to do things to to appease that. They've they've said, we, we could do that. But I think that, like I said, the battle is bigger, and I think God has positioned him, for whatever reason, to to be in the middle of this fight, no less in the middle of L.A., which is, you know, already a difficult place to be politically. But I'm thankful for, you know, the, the wisdom that he has spoken. I just I hope that he continues to, 
to stay on truth and not go away from that. And that um, it doesn't go to their ministry's head some way. And uh, they become, you know, something that they shouldn't be in this, which is an advocate for the rest of us. Do you have a thought, Ben? I, I don't even know where to start. I fall in the middle slash further away from Don. I'm ready to exchange my island uh, teammate. I'm, I'm ditching the captain. He's out. <laughs> oh, no. I, I'm with Ryan. I think to me, for me personally, and and I think there is value in you know trying to allow people to make individual decisions, but for the greater good, I'm willing to put on a mask when I go out in public. I do. I even wear a mask at times when I'm outside in a larger crowd just because I don't want to get myself or my family sick and I want to protect other people. And to me, that's one way that I can do that. And I don't think it'll be interesting for me and it'll be very interesting to see if this is a temporary thing or if this is really progress down a path of more and more constraints placed on the church. You know, because I look at the statement even that was made by the the officials when they made this decision against MacArthur's church. You know, they said religious services are central to many of our residents' lives, especially in these trying times. And services have been allowed to be held online and outdoors with physical distancing and use of face coverings. And they may continue to do that. They're just looking to modify the way we're doing our activities to slow the spread of the virus. You know, that the church I attend, we have decided that we are going to honor what our medical professionals are telling us and what our local authorities are telling us. And we're following the guidelines. We're not at, at our church. We feel like that is showing the correct uh, respect and honor to those around us, even the honor to each other, that we're doing what we can to keep each other safe. And we feel like that is that is when the rest of the community and, and region are looking at our church, we're hoping that that is a good testimony to them so they'll be interested in what we've got going on at our church. That, that's really the way, you know, we're looking at it because, you know, we think about the church, it, it's certainly, a, there's multiple purposes to a church, right? We're edifying the saints that go to the church, but we're also trying to reach out and be a witness and a testimony to the rest of the community and the rest of the world. I'm not saying that that isn't possible the way that, you know, Pastor MacArthur is approaching it. It certainly could be. It, it's, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But for me, and and our family, we're we're willing to give up some of our personal liberties for the sake of the health of the of the general public. And the medical people I've spoken with personally have said these are good steps to take. We should all be taking them. And I'm in. So Don, you're out. I'm sorry, you're out. <laughs> I would get off your commie island and join. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the democracy over on uh, who, who's with me? Who's on that island? Who is it? Me, me man. Yeah, told. Yep, yeah, I agree. Yep, yeah, that I like. I like that. Who's who's the third? Was it Eve? Was it Eve? It was. No. It was. It's, it was Ben. It's you, Ben, and Matt, and it's me, Ryan, and Ethan. I'm, I want. Well, it. you're out, Don. You're out. Thank God, because I will survive. <laughs> Well, I think we're going to make Ben take the boat. We're staying on the island. We're, we're just fine where we're at. Thanks. Well, you can okay, take your mask so, with you. And here's one more point I'll make. You know, we referenced the inconsistency across the board. 
The United States is unique in that problem. Many of the other countries, you read stuff from the BBC and other places around the globe, they are taking a nation-by-nation approach and how they're trying to handle this. Now, different nations have done different things, but they're not allowing every city and every state and every Tom, Dick, and Harry to decide what they're going to do. They are putting more of a universal process in place. And you look at the numbers in a lot of those countries, and they're in a lot better position right now than we are. We are having more cases and more deaths than any other country on the planet. And that's because we have all these, I'm sticking up for my own civil liberty, everybody else be damned. And that is the wrong approach, in my opinion. I will, I, when I was young, hold on, let me just say, go ahead, let me just say one thing. Okay. And this is, this is a blanket statement for every, everything. In perspective, we ha- we all understand that we, we stand in maybe different spots on this topic, which I think, you know, is, is natural, even, even in, in the regions we all come from and that's fine. One thing that keeps haunting me is the fact that the the principalities and powers that we are fighting against is Satan and he's the author of confusion and he wants nothing more than this just to be spun and spun and spun and continued on. Now, what that doesn't lead to an answer and that's what I'm frustrated with because I want an answer. I want it now. I want to know what we can do to eradicate it, to get it done so that we can go back to being normal. But quite frankly, I think the confusion thing that is coming into our play today in our society is just going to ramp up and anxiety is going to ramp up. And all of these emotions that you and I really to this moment in our life haven't had to really deal with or parent through or teach through, we cannot. We it, It's just going to continue to go on. And I think I think Satan's got his hand on some of this. And I, I pray that we don't we don't lose sight of that point and that facet through through this whole thing. So, yeah, and, and I'll totally agree with you there, Jeremy. I I think, you know, you think about the way that motivation and even in politics, the way they motivate is through fear, right? And fear divides people. Our my, The message we had this morning at church, you know, was out of John 17, where it talks about unity and the, the body needs to be unified. And, it you know, it says right in there, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as much as you have loved me. I mean, the unity thing is huge and we are big time losing that. I, I totally agree with you, Jeremy, across the, the culture of all kinds, secular, secular culture and Christian culture, we're losing that unity. And that is, that is a sad reality. And Don, you know, it may be a, the agenda of the Democrat party, but I think there's a bigger party that, that is, you know, is at play. And I, I think that um, in many ways that pulling away, Ben, as you were saying, is, is Satan's attempt to dismantle what the, the resemblance of truth and church is here on our, our world and planet today. He's just trying to dismantle that. Praise the Lord, though, that there's a remnant and there are people who are going to stand up in the face of that, whether it's whether it's the pandemic or whether it's the next thing in 2021, which whatever that's going to be or, you know, in the years to come. I just want to I want to know uh, that I can I can speak wisdom to people that. And Ben, I think your statement that your church made those three things honor, you know, honor each other, honor the medical professional and and honor the Lord. And maybe there's a fourth. I don't remember. I'm, I'm going back a few podcasts there. What you said, those are good things. I've, I've actually said that and repeated that because I've had to remind myself that that's an important thing. I just don't like losing 
and freedom. And depending on where we are in the country and where we our circumstances are, that looks different. And that's tough to reconcile. Does the name Frank Peretti mean anything to you guys? So back when I was younger, one of the Christian fiction authors that I loved was Frank Peretti. And he had, I think that his first book that came on the scene was what, This Present Darkness and then Piercing the Darkness. The I, yeah. Then the, oh yeah. And then it started getting kind of goofy. But in, in those two books specifically, what I loved was it kind of kind of talked about what we see going on in the world, but then it talked about the spiritual level, right? The things that we don't see. You know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. And what was interesting, and hopefully we'll tie this section up, was I think his point, and he took a lot of licenses, and so some of the church, you know, didn't really appreciate that. But one of the things that always spoke to me was there was always a movement of these, these angelic beings to encourage the people of God to pray. And when the people of God prayed, you know, there was there was movement of these angels that would come in and, the, and you know, they, they, they'd mass this great battle. It was great fiction, right? I mean, I, I loved it. I, get, I had goosebumps up and down my spine as I'm, as I'm reading these books when I'm younger. I think what, what one of Frank's main point was to encourage the church to pray because we don't know all the things that are necessarily going on. And uh, when God's people pray, that that leads to some some great things, uh, probably more than we'll ever know on this on this earth. So I think in all of this, even as we have different views, um, yeah, how are we praying and upholding each other, our government officials, ultimately praying for people's salvation, because unless they see Jesus and the gospel and they understand their need for him, all their efforts at best are going to be in vain. Right. So anyhow, wow, that was that was two, two intense, good topics of conversation. So. All right. You guys know what time it is. Six in the mix. for the trivia today. Uh, we've got a question. So as as the podcast that we're recording right now happened when on uh, you know, Sunday of week one of the NFL, the Vikings played the Packers. So I've got a Vikings-Packers question. So that's going to be the first trivia question. So here it is. What were the last two decades that the Vikings had a winning record against the hated Green Bay Packers? What were the last two Two decades that the Vikings had a winning record against the hated Green Bay Packers. So you Ryan. can certainly guess. So, okay, Ryan, go ahead. 60s and 70s. I am sorely disappointed that that is not correct. I was hoping that there would be oh, joy and, and elation in the fact that uh, you would have gotten that right. Uh, but no, that is not that is not correct. You said 60s and 70s? Yeah, You're that's correct. not correct. That's not correct. Well, that's a disappointing, Brian. I was really hoping you'd get that one. Seriously, I think we're all... I Should should the podcast even go on? I like, I, should I, we just I, cut it off? I was, I was not going to ring in until Ryan gave his answer. I was hoping he wanted to give a shot. I mean, he lives for this. That's All right, true. Anybody I, else? That's true. I love you guys. Thank you for, for your care. Ben, I will take a guess at it. Go ahead, Ben. And I like to, I'm much more optimistic than it being that long ago, Ryan. So I'm going with the 80s and the 2000s. Ooh, that's not correct. In fact, both of those were uh, Packers got the best of us. <laughs> Any other I'll thoughts? Throw a, I'll throw a guess in the hat. Go ahead, Ethan. I'm going to say the 60s and the 90s. Oh, got, got one of them right. Now, keep in mind, the Vikings entered in as an expansion team in 1961. So if you're kind of thinking how expansion teams normally do, that might lend some credence to not pick the 60s. Any other guesses before we give the answer? So I'll go with it, uh, Don. I'm going to say the 70s and the 90s. 
You are correct. Yeah, that's right. It was the 1970s and the 1990s. So in the 1970s, we went 15-4 and one against them, uh, which was which was great. And then in the 1990s, we went 12 and eight. Uh, those are the only two decades uh, since the Vikings' inception in 1961 that we had winning records against the Green. Wow, Bay that's hard to believe. Ryan, I would like to just make a notation that he only gets half a point for that because by process of elimination, he knew yep. what the answer was. <laughs> Right. I know. I'm with you. I was going to give him that, that, give him that, but I was only going to give him like 0.25. I mean, I do. I mean, he had, he he nailed it on the seventies. I was like the seventies. I didn't think of that one because yeah, the seventies, the Vikings were so dominant. So yeah, I'll give him 0.25. I wouldn't give him (laughs) 0.5. So then Don only yeah, gets the other point two five. I get the point five. <laughs> oh boy, Don! I don't Don, know who to cheer for. Because you were so disappointed with with me not getting my answer right, I want you to have the full point. Amen, brother. I like you. <laughs> All right, wow, we have a breakthrough in trivia today. That's fantastic. <laughs> All right, moving on to music trivia. Are you guys ready for music trivia? What genre? <laughs> You'll find out. Your your name is your buzzer. (laughs) It's it's going to be all over the map. Yes, Uh, all over the map. So, all right, here we go. In three, two, one. This is a bit deeper track, but. By grace alone, somehow I stand. One of my favorites. Where even angels fear to tread. Invited by redeeming love. Alright, this is great. This is the longest we've gone into a song without somebody at least trying it. So, yes, I am at a loss. He pulls me close with nail scarred hands. Ring in if you're getting some confidence. I know the song. I do. I just can't put my finger on the details. When condemnation grips my heart. This is this is some of the richest text in a song I've heard in a long time. This probably came out, my guess would be, I don't know, five, six years ago, maybe eight years ago, somewhere around there. So this is by the oh, this is Rent Collective. Rent Collective. Bully I Approach, right? That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. <laughs> Good job, Ben. Yeah, two verses into it, I would give myself maybe a tenth of a point. I don't get much for that. Only. I think if Ben's going to get a point, he would share the, all the points with us. And he tends towards that socialistic... Uh, yeah, that's what a good Democrat would do. Let's share the points. Everybody yep. gets a point five. Let's do it. Ryan, divide that point by six, and we'll all take this. I'll take you got it. credit. You got it. So everybody gets point one six 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 six. Well, yeah, I well, don't do that. That's <laughs> <laughs> all righty. Well, that's that's great. Yeah, if you guys don't know that song, I, I would encourage you. It's called the Boldly I Approach, the Art of Celebration. It's by Ren Collective. So good, so good. Uh, g- give that one a give that one a spin. I, I um, I've only heard of one 
one song by that group, and it was something about a lighthouse. Yeah, that's a good one too. That's mm-hmm. uh, it's a bit. Yeah, it's got a nice little pep in the step. Yeah, you get your toe tap. plays that you know on repeat on occasion. What is the what is the the group name? Rent collected. Rent and Rent collected. Rent collected. Yeah, rent. You guys got some homework to do then. You yeah, know, I think I want to. I want to know what it means uh, next podcast. That's that Don. That's going to be your homework. Come back with that. <laughs> Come back with that. That's good. Good stuff. Alrighty. So uh, moving on, we're we're gonna we're gonna discuss a hot topic and kind of go around the horn here. Uh, will uh, each of you be watching NFL football this year in light of the politicization of? Football. I think we all saw it today. If you if you tuned in, um, a lot of politics in play. Some interesting messages. Um, so maybe like a thirty second clip. Yes or no? If you'll be watching and why? And we'll start up at top with Jeremy, and then we'll just let go whoever wants to answer. Yeah. So so for me, I'm not I'm not going to go pursue watching um, games um, this year, um, either college or or NFL. Really. I mean, I my my goal is to just kind of let that for a little while just. Sit simmer down until things simmer down. Um, however, I've told my kids and I've told my family, look, if we're invited somewhere, if we go somewhere and it's on, I'm not going to, you know, completely reject and, and abstain completely if it's something that is a fa- family thing or if it's something that, you know, is, is a group thing that we're invited to. I won't, I won't take that away. I just want to make a conscious choice uh, for myself uh, to make sure that I don't put the NFL as an idol and I don't ha- have that on Sunday so programmed in that everything else kind of goes away. So so it's more of a, it's more of a, you know, off the political stuff. It's, it's more in that direction, but I'm not going to go seeking to watch a game necessarily um, on purpose this year. I'm just going to try to take it. If it comes great, if, if, if um, I just happen to see a game in a restaurant or something, fine, but I'm just not, I'm not going to make it a, a priority of my life. All right. That was right, right in the middle of the fence there. Good politician. That's it. That's it. Yeah, I'm learning from Ryan. Who's, <laughs> 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 Who's next? He's on my island already. I don't need to send him off, so he's good. Hey, we, think we just great. welcome Ben. We just welcome Ben to Russia. <laughs> well, I can chime in. So I, unfortunately, I did watch the Vikings game today. Nothing to do with the politics. That was disappointing. It's just that they need a lot of work this season. Uh, they did not look real good today. But you know, I I enjoy watching um, the NFL, and actually enjoy watching it. My oldest son likes to watch some of the Vikings games with me and we both bemoan the result of the game today so I'll watch it this year. I was interested to see what they were going to show at the Vikings game today in terms of the pre-game information and etc and all they showed was they showed the national anthem being sung by a group before the game and then the next thing that they went live with was the kickoff so they, they kept it pretty tame I think the Packers stayed in the locker room through the anthem and came out Every everyone's been a little different I think but yeah, it's interesting to watch those all those things seeping into the games. It's feeling like it's becoming part of our culture. So I don't think any of us should be terribly surprised that it's coming into professional sports because it's just there. It's everywhere now. And so anyway, yeah, I'm only sorry. That was more than 30 seconds. But yes, I, I'll, I'll probably watch it. And it's mostly just because I enjoy watching it with my with the boys. We watch at least portions of games. So Yes, we we on the mother island of Russia. We enjoy our uh, our social justice, and we uh, we we appreciate that. I, I'm only going to tune in for the lift every voice anthem, and then I'm going to turn the rest of the game off. So that's my 
my answer. Yeah, I was I was disappointed. So I, I was watching the pregame. And again, I think it was the group with Sounds of Blackness. And they did a, a fantastic rendition. They had trumpets and trombones. And so they sounded great. But I, I, I would have thought for sure they would have highlighted the lift every voice. It, yeah, surprisingly, they didn't. Yeah, I'll, I'll be watching the games just because I, you know, I enjoy sports. And again, not being in Minnesota, I certainly uh, love to be able to watch. But I mean, for me all along, it's been, you know, if it, if, if all these things can help spark conversation and interaction, then I'm, I'm certainly for it. What is interesting, and as I've had discussions with some of my kids about, you know, what's going on and what we're seeing there. It it does, there's a very strong steering in commercials in the way that I saw, I don't know if you guys saw it, but Fox did a kind of a promo with people watching and all about the social justice and some good points in there, but it was definitely steering you toward a political agenda. And I thought it was a bit strong from my taste, but it's spurring on some conversations. And, and again, if we can have healthy dialogue about these things where we can all have blind spots and where we all can look to love our, our brothers and sisters more, I think it can be healthy if we're all allowed to have our own opinion. But if only one opinion is king, then it's, it's just we're running a show, we're running a script, and I'm not I'm not down with that. Anyway, that was more than 30 seconds, too, so I'm, I'm guilty. No, we were roommates, Matt. I mean, we <laughs> That's <be> true. <laughs> 30 seconds? I can't believe that we're talking about trying to answer in 30 seconds. I don't know if any of us can answer anything in 30 seconds. <laughs> um, Dobson, give it a run. Oh, goodness. Well, it's certainly there's certainly a lot of complexity to it that it's tough to unpack in 30 seconds. I'm probably very in a similar place to Matt. I will occasionally watch. I don't watch football a lot and it's not because I'm opposed to watching. It's not because of any taking a stance on anything. I just, I just choose to spend my time in other places and have limited time to watch things. And, um, and Sundays we usually have other stuff going on. So I don't get to watch a lot of games, which is fine. But I think I'm probably in a similar place as Matt in that I think every Everything in our world tends to have a, it comes from a worldview standpoint. Every component of what we see in sports and politics and Hollywood and everything has a worldview. Um, and part of our job as Christians, our responsibility as Christians is to ask and answer the question, what is true? What is God's truth? Because ultimately all truth is God's truth. Wherever it's from, wherever it comes from, wherever it's found, all truth is God's truth. And so I think for me, this, the, the, the place that we find ourselves in, even going back to the conversation about MacArthur's church, the, the place that we find ourselves in, in our cultural moment is significant, is a significant opportunity for the church uh, and for believers, individual believers, um, even more importantly, in terms of how we live out as salt and light in the culture. Um, and so I think this instance is a really important one when it comes to questions of racial justice and social justice and some of that stuff and lots of other things of individual liberties when it comes to virus and masks and all that kind of stuff. I think a big part of it is what does it look like for us? And there will be differences of opinion, even within the church in some areas. But for me, I think the protests, uh, the flag protests, the anthem protests, any of that stuff, I think the question that we as believers need to enter into is, hey, where is the truth in all of this stuff? And what, what does it look like for me to accurately reflect the image of God in fellow man? What does it look like to accurately reflect loving God and loving people? And that's not a simple easy thing. But that's something that I think the church historically and theologically has been known for. And I think sometimes we've lost that foundation to stand on uh, over the course of time. And so I think there's opportunities here that cry out for the church to lift the name of Jesus high, to love him and love people well in a way that points people to the gospel, not to a, a church. 
um, necessarily even, even though we want people to become a part of the, the body of Christ globally and be a part of a community locally. So that's that's way longer than 30 seconds, but that's a lot of what's been rolling around in my head. And doctor, I'm telling you, yeah. in front of your name, DR. Take, <laughs> take all the time you need to answer, Ethan. I have no problem with that. That was good stuff. Easy listening. That was great. Other thoughts on, on uh, this? Well, yeah, I got I got I got a pipe in, I guess. Um <laughs> You're, you're at least you're not on my island anymore before you even answer. I didn't. I didn't actually get to answer the uh, the uh, question about uh, MacArthur, but I would probably find myself on the island with Ryan and Ben. Although it pains me a little bit to be on Ryan's island, um, I would be. I would be in that general vicinity of the island for a variety of reasons that I can explain another time. Good to know. Wow. Wow. I agree. Wow. (laughs) Sounds like the island of Venezuela. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Venezuela is not an island, but you get my point. (laughs) Cuba. Let's call it Cuba. Well, Don, let's hear. I want to hear Don's Don's perspective. Let it rip, Captain. I was uh, letting uh, letting some frustration out last night and uh, texted out, I think, uh, to a couple of uh, guys. I, ben was included and saying how I was not very happy with what I was seeing out of the Viking organization, saying what they were going to do before kickoff, all the all the shenanigans they were going to be going that was going to be going on at the risk of being called a snowflake again by Ben. I'm just like, I can't do it. I can't watch. I can't watch these guys play i can't take it anymore it's just like with the masks i'm done i can't do it but having said that i've got a i've got a 16 year old girl that loves sports when the twins protested and didn't play because of the jacob blake shooting i was like i'm done i can't do it but then my wife came alongside and says you know don you should really probably you know lena really loves sports she loves baseball you at least watch it with her you don't want her to have this time with her dad and she was like yeah i know you're right so you know i i get it and that's really like you know like like Jeremy was saying, you know, and, and Ben, you said too that you were watching it with your son. You're, you're not going to make a big deal, a big scene out of it. But yeah, this is just rubbing me the wrong way, and I'm tired of it. And I want to take a stand. One of the things was it was interesting. One of the things somebody said was, "Is this really entertainment for you?" And I, at first, I thought, "No, this is not entertaining to me." But yeah, football is entertaining to me. But I'm tired of you know saying entertainment is going to rule the house and say we got to watch this and and not take a stand. And, and you know, I got a lot of let my kids know that it's okay to, to disagree with what's being told through the media and things like that. You know, take a stand once in a while and say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to take part of the something. So I, I'm, I'm definitely in the camp of, I don't want to watch a single snap. I don't want to watch any of it, but I know that's not going to be able to be happening because I know that I've got a daughter who enjoys sports, just wants to watch football. She said, she told me that the other, she told Jen that the other day, she's like, I just want to watch football. You know, and I get it. I'm getting old. I think I that's what it is. I think I want to know how to get on that email or that uh, text string. I'm not, I'm not part of that. Yeah, Don is Mr. Get off my lawn. I, gotta, I, I know. It's like, man, you look at my dog and you tell me it's cute one more time. I'm going to going down. 
<laughs> keep That's walking. Right. Just keep walking. <laughs> well, I've got to, I've got to be honest with you. I've, I, I just recently got cable back on and I mean, I've had the chance, I suppose, even with YouTube to watch highlights of games. And I think what the NBA has done, I mean, I have no draw to the NBA right now. I think they've gone over and above what they need to be doing. It's almost like LeBron James has his own revolution going on. I, I'm not, but it, so if I, if I got that jive with what the NFL is doing, that they're trying to ram something down my face that I don't really perceive as an issue with myself, I'm probably going to pass on watching football, but I, I don't get that jive at all right now. I, I was a little bothered on the first night when Houston didn't come out for the anthems. I, I don't mind the fans booing them. I don't live in their shoes either. It, it, they all are going to come up with their own ways of signaling their virtue and they're going to say, hey, this is what, what it's going to look like for us. And if you're the audience, you're just going to have to have to bear with with it. So that's that's where I'm at. It can get to a place in any of these sports. And I was excited to watch my first Twins game the other night too. any of these sports. I could easily turn off if I feel like this is this is overkill. Yeah, it's uh, it's a wild time. There's so much sports going on. And for me, it's, it's it, again, it's been a welcome thing when baseball started up. For me, I've been watching mainly baseball. <laughs> after the, I think after the first half, I was so disgusted at the Vikings game. I got to just switched over to the Twins and thankfully they took care of business. <laughs> so I got a good day at work tomorrow. I'm pretty pumped about that. But uh, yeah, some good discussion there. All right, Ryan, calling your shot. Take it away. So we are going to bring up a sore wound for Matt, who just got done talking about the Vikings. But I just wanted to throw out an aside here that we went over to Wisconsin after church today. We went to uh, Nelson, Wisconsin. They've got a creamery over there where the, you can get some sandwiches, some ice cream. So we did that. And I told my family, hey, let's count up the Biden and Trump signs and let's just see where we're at in the race to get an idea. Because I know one of our calling your shots previously is who's going to win the election. And wouldn't you know, in the state of Minnesota, between here and there, eight signs for Trump, eight signs for Biden. <laughs> so it is a neck and neck race if you're going to judge by this uh, this rural landscape that I was traveling today. So our question today is, how will the Minnesota Vikings do in the NFC North? Will they win the division? And just like we did with the Twins, it'd be nice to get an idea of what you think their record is going to be. And today we have a little bit of notice. We, we saw a little bit of um, what they look like today. So I just want to go around. I'll start with Jeremy. Jeremy, I know you're uh, you're in Wisconsin, so you are probably not the greatest Vikings backer right now. But w- w- what do you got? No, yeah, but I I, I do kind of pay attention a little bit to those things. I I just I don't I don't have a lot of confidence in in them just from what I read. I mean, I've been, I've been doing some reading on that. I'm going to go a little bit above what I, I thought I'm going to give them that. No, they're not going to win the conference and they're not going to win their division. And I think they're going to have, I was going to give them eight, but I think they're going to go with nine. Okay. No division crown and nine and seven record. If yep. assuming they play a full season, right. which I know we've right. even asked on this, on this uh, calling your shot before. Okay. Got it. Don, what do you got? I'm going to say no division win and they will go the seven wins. Seven and nine for Don. He is Matt, angry. They're in Ohio. What do you? Oh, maybe you say things better in Ohio than we're seeing them in Minnesota, but I'm guessing not. Yeah, I'm, I'm going with my island mate. Uh, that's exactly the the record I was coming up with. Seven and nine, and uh, that's the most vanilla offense I've ever seen. Kirk Cousins is not great, and uh, yeah, we'll go seven and nine. We'll be third in the division, and we will not make the playoffs. My newest island mate, Ben. During Mike Zimmer's tenure as coach, the Vikings are almost 
was regularly an every other year team. And last year was pretty good. We made it the second round of the playoffs. Yep. So this is our down year. And if you watched them today, you're like, yeah, this is definitely our down year. We'll be second place in the division because I think Chicago and Detroit are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so that's going to be a, a few wins right there. We'll probably lose in Chicago, but we should win the other three. Yeah. So I'll put us on about eight and eight and we'll get second place in the division. All right. That leaves my long lost friend, Ethan. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't see the game today. I don't have a lot of optimism when it comes to uh, professional sports teams that I cheer for, <laughs> especially Vikings. Why? And so I'm going to stick something. I was thinking my, in my mind, I was thinking something along the lines of what Ben shared eight and eight. I think I'm actually going to, I think I'm actually going to pivot to something new that represents that's different. So I'm not jumping on his bandwagon, but um, I think I'm actually going to go something along the lines of seven wins, eight losses and a tie just to show oh. my mm. lack of optimism. For of course, if it's going to play out, you are the doctor. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I have a tie in there. That's good. I debated saying two ties, but then I thought that's just crazy. Right, right. We we don't deal with crazy here. We're we're all business. <laughs> I'm going to say no. They're not going to win the division, and they're going to go five and eleven. So Ooh. that is that is what I'm going to say. I we've got a bunch of novice cornerbacks. We're without Daniil Hunter, and uh, a team came in and put up 43 points on us today. So I'll just say five and eleven, and look at reality. I didn't watch the game. What was the score? 43 to what? 43 40. to 34. Oh, well, that's not. I mean, pressure was off. Cousin, Cousins yeah. was great with no pressure. Yeah. Okay. As soon as he was down by two plus touchdowns, and then, went then we went crazy. Yeah. And he's he's Mr. Garbage man, garbage time quarterback. That's what he well, does. Usually, so. usually Green Bay has the trip out of the starting gate and, uh, you know, we get the relaxed t-shirts coming out here like crazy because everybody's freaking out that the hallowed Green Bay Packers <laughs> Oh, all, man. All I, all, I'm, all, I'm, all I have to say is... Uh, uh, whose who's fantasy football team put up a cool 200-plus oh, points today? Ethan, you just took me to the woodshed oh, today, man. man. Oh, holy cow. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Amazing. Hey, Ben, uh, before we move on to the next one, I'll trade you Cousins for Kyler Murray. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get back to you on that. Okay. Just think about it. Yeah. I'll pray about it. Is Ryan still a commission? Ben filled in for me recently, so that was nice. <laughs> Ryan does a great job. He's He's all business, like he said. He just does a great job. Thank you, Ben. It's good to know. Boy, is this, okay. is this podcast for real? Are we actually giving Ryan love on this podcast? <laughs> yeah. It's a good lead into the, the, the next segment, though. It's hey, every, uh, the feel-good story of the week. Are we like, are you living it out right now? Right. Is this the feel-good story of the this week? This is it. <laughs> <laughs> script has been read. This is wild. Uh, all right, Ben, why don't you take it away? Okay, feel-good story of the week. I found this one thought it was pretty cool. 11-year-old boy has been doing a lemonade stand this summer. Now, I've got two boys. They had a lemonade stand a couple different weekends this summer, and they're they're selfishly trying to raise some money for a new Xbox. But what this young man did, which is a much more, <laughs> much purer motive, he actually has been raising money to buy supplies for single moms. 
and he has raised over $5,000. Oh my goodness. Um, and he, so his goal is to be able to buy 25,000 diapers for single moms and he's getting close. He's at a little over 20,000 so far. So yeah, pretty cool. 11 years old. He's actually um, done some other things where he's put together care packages for homeless people in his community and gotten a lot of support, you know, from others within his community to help him uh, fundraise like this, but pretty cool and uh, pretty good intentions. And, you know, a kid who looks like, you know, he's definitely setting out to try to make a difference for, for the better and um, pretty neat. So that's my feel good story of the week that we can all get a little inspiration and look for those like, like Ethan said, maybe the vulnerable among us. How can we look for ways to try to help them and, and make their lives better and realize how fortunate, how much we all have and how we can share, share the wealth a little bit like a good Democrat would do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we we might have to switch the uh, feel good story of the week up so we don't get like the uh, the biased media approach and all this stuff. So I have to mix it up if it no. But n- nice job on that, Ben. That's, that's a great story. Uh, good hey, stuff. I, I right. do have one question. Did you get? Did your kids get the Xbox? Did they make enough? No, they're they've raised about thirty five dollars so far. That's so it? we're a little shy of the Xbox. I'm buying um, I'm buying some lemonade from them. They're, they're saving up for the right. new Xbox, right? Not the an old Xbox, right? I mean, Don, they're only 10 and 8. They do not know that there's a new Xbox coming. Let's keep that between us. I know Mr. Techie over there. You got, you cannot let them spend money on an old Xbox. They will be the laughing stock of their, their school. Come on. I was going to try to give them an Xbox 360. Is that not okay? <laughs> my family, I've got my an family N64. just got our first Wii like for given to us at Christmas. So right. we're like, you know, right. it's amazing. Well, we are going to close out. Guys, we got uh, some thoughts from Romans 4 and Frozen 2. Romans 4.18. This is talking about Abraham. So in hope, he believed against hope, which is a fascinating phrase, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And so Abraham has been a little bit on my mind. Uh, my daughter did a kind of a project on justice and we looked at Abraham and my pastor has been preaching on Abraham. And, and what was interesting, he brought up a point today. He said, from the time that God made the promise that you will have a son to the time that he had a son was at a minimum 10 years. <laughs> so 10 years, he's got to walk in faith. And obviously he wasn't perfect in that, but ultimately in Romans, it says in hope against hope, he believed, right? He didn't waver in his faith, but he grew strong in believing in God, knowing that God was able to do what was promised, even though it didn't make any sense to him. It wasn't working out in, in practicality. And so maybe maybe we're facing some of those things as well. We, we, we know what God has promised, but uh, we're, we're challenged with something. We're, we want to see it realized and it's not quite realized. And so what do we do? Do we do we despair? Do we do we not trust God? I think when he now moving from Romans four to frozen two, one of the themes in that uh, in that great movie was uh, was do the next right thing, which in and of itself is, is actually some pretty good truth, right? So when in doubt, do the right thing, do the truthful thing, right? Kind of what Ethan, you were talking about earlier on, do what's right, have a strong character, do the next right thing. But the question is, how do we know what's right to do? Uh, my dad and I were talking about this today on the Zoom call. 
in order for us to do the next right thing, we've got to believe the right things. And so just to close up, this kind of links back to Ethan's Fix Your Eyes, I think a couple podcasts ago from Psalm 19. And I just want to leave us with these words again. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's not okay just to say to do the next right thing when we're in a tough time or we're in a challenging situation. We've got to believe the right things. And we believe the right things when we are meditating and we're speaking truth and we need God's help to do that. So that's my encouragement to us uh, as we go forward. And no matter what you're facing and hope against the hope, be strong in your belief, knowing that God is capable to do and will do what he's promised to do. That's uh, Fix Your Eyes. And on this uh, September 13th, 2020, this is episode number eight, six in the mix. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Leave a like, leave a review, and uh, we will see you next time.